Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm Troy Richards, the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri. I'm joined by our worship pastor, Daniel Mawson, and we're glad you decided to join us today. This podcast was created to show how all of God's Word leads us to a better understanding of Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior and Lord. Our church is working through a reading plan to read the entire Bible in a year, and each week we invite people to share what insights they've learned and what the Holy Spirit has revealed through the reading of God's Word. We'll also address some questions, some serious, some that are a lot of fun to talk about, all from this week's reading. And we pray that you will see how amazing the Bible is to read each and every day. And by us sharing some of our highlights, we hope you will be inspired to read it for yourself. You can find our reading plan and read along with us at www.firstbaptistjackson.com. Well, hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. My name is Daniel and I have Pastor Troy with me. Yay! Yeah, and we're about to go over um, this week's reading. It's been a great week. This week we had, uh, we go, we're transitioning out of Exodus and so we're learning all about uh, the, sen- the, not the synagogue, but the tabernacle, tabernacle yeah. and uh, all the stuff that goes in the tabernacle and more about uh, the fatty lobe of kidneys and so forth than I ever wanted to, know. Wanted all, to know. All the entrails <laughs> of animals and and, and how important those are. Um, and the Psalms, some, some of the most powerful Psalms, mm-hmm. I think, um, that there are, and, uh, and, and some of the most recognized. So that was pretty cool. And, and then in Proverbs, uh, of course, the wisdom, <laughs> it seems to be traditional. And then in Matthew, uh, we are almost to the end of Matthew and, and therefore getting to uh, the betrayal and crucifixion of mm-hmm. Christ. So some incredibly important passages this week. So I hope everybody has done the reading. If you haven't, obviously you can catch up. Uh, all you have to do is go to our website and see the reading plan and yeah. uh, jump in. I'm excited about our guest this week. Yeah, Adam, welcome. Thank you. Thank Adam you. Burke. Yes. <laughs> Adam, tell us about yourself. What do you do? Where do you come from? Yeah. Um, so like many people on the podcast here, I grew up in this church um, from roughly 12 maybe or something like that, uh, that I came here and then uh, went off to college. So I had my uh, away time for a little while for about five years and then came back and have uh came back to to here for while i was in jackson and love the church still and um yeah it's been fun to to be a part of the church again so cool what do you what do you do during the day what makes what makes your living yeah uh so entrepreneur is is my um at heart and and i've done that in the past recently had to shut down a business though and so I've been driving a truck uh, here lately, driving a semi, hauling cattle. So, um, anyways, that's been good uh, break. Maybe not exactly what I want to be doing for my whole life, but at the same point, um, God puts us in those situations, and it's been good to uh, to have the reflection and, and listening and learning kind of time. That that's I think that's kind of why he landed me in this position. So absolutely. Now I have a serious question. Do you, when kids do the little arm pumpy thing? To get you to honk, I, do you honk? <laughs> I totally would, <laughs> although I don't think I've seen it yet. I haven't seen it and, yet. What? And I really need to, uh, I need to, in a place where I'm comfortable doing it, you know, test out my horn because uh. I have tested in other trucks and the horn is like always super weak. So I don't want oh, I I to. I need to test it in. Yes, I need to test the truck I'm currently in uh, and <laughs> make sure it's a good one. <laughs> That's great. So what do you do around the church? Uh, so I've been on the property and space committee, mm-hmm. um, haven't had to do a whole lot with that here lately, um, 
just with personal reasons and stuff. Um, but then I was on the pastor search committee. And, That's uh, right. Very hey. happy to have. Um, we think that we did a good job. You're anyways. you're you're responsible anyway. <laughs> yeah. did, did we do a good job, Pastor? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Time will tell. Okay. Um, yeah, and then uh, Sunday school teacher for uh, the college and career class too. So yeah, fantastic. Yep, fantastic. Some good stuff. So Adam, what did you what did you find in this week's reading? What what stood out to you? Yeah. Um, so we had Exodus here, the end of Exodus. And um, there's a couple things that definitely um, liked about it. I'll start off there, I guess. Um, like in 33:11, it says the the Lord spoke, <clears throat> the Lord would speak with Moses um, face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Um, and that was just something that stood out to me is is um, that face to face interaction and just being a friend, like how close that they are. Um, and there's there's lots of examples of of this interaction that I guess has been kind of amazing me throughout both Exodus Psalms and Matthew. Um, just looking at all of the different interactions between I guess Moses and God, David and God, and then Jesus and God. Um, each of those are kind of individual and, and special in their own way. Two things kind of came to my mind, which is one the importance of of good parenting. And and I'm not a parent, so I don't see that always. But there's a few times whenever I, I notice that and just like, wow, how important good parenting is. And you had parents, it, though. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. You've been parented. Yes. And, um, but, you know, this, that would, this would be an instance of that, though, because as you say, I mean, they're just reverting back to, to what they knew. And so, right. I mean, that's how important that that is. It's something that does stand out to me fairly regularly. And, and, um, and on that, he says uh, when he talks about the sins of a father visited upon the third generation, he's not saying that I'm holding you responsible for the sins of your father because it says specifically you he does not. But what he is saying is, is if your father is sinful, then he's going to teach you to be sinful. Mm-hmm. He's going to teach the next, and that's going to pass on from generation to generation. And uh, the other thing, though, that, that kind of crossed my mind was there's it's a very human nature that um that i definitely fall into is that we oftentimes like look for that that one moment of um of like oh something so drastic and serious that like oh this will change me or or change have that solid relationship or whatever that it is but we we look for that one kind of magic thing magic the magic bullet yeah right and as you were talking about that though it kind of got me thinking like you know if i was an israelite walking across the the uh the the river or the sea i mean yeah. red, red sea. sea the red yeah. sea yes thank you um walking across the red sea on dry land i would be like this is ever going to moment <laughs> with a wall it. of water on your right and a wall of water on your left yeah <laughs> right and um and so i guess just what was occurring to me is like that is something that we just need to get over basically mm. i mean looking for that for that one moment because they had the moment you forget your moments right yeah. yeah right i mean we've all had that moment that we that god was so real to us i mean if we're saved we've had at least a moment right. when we understood it to be true for sure well the and the red sea crossing the red sea is that defining moment in israel's history it is they in the Old Testament, it is the, always the reference when you read through the Psalms and even go into the prophets. This is how God demonstrated his power is that he created this deliverance. You have the enemies of God coming upon you. You have your salvation, which is on the other side of the sea, and God creates this 
uh, opening through the sea for you to go, this amazing demonstration of the power of God. And so people, people do. They always go back to it and say, obviously, if he can do that, he can do anything. Uh, for us, it is the it is the resurrection, it is the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. We have the resurrection in the New Testament that it's like this is the same principle. We have the enemy of, of God that are coming after us, and we have the the barrier of death before us, and the great this great divide between us and God. And then Jesus through the cross creates this bridge, this way for us to get to God, and uh, and resurrection. So that so Paul says, you know, it's not red, it's not the Red Sea anymore. We always look at we we run everything through the filter of if he can resurrect christ you know obviously if jesus can come die and resurrect from the dead foretells his death burial and resurrection not not just that it happens but he says it's going to happen and it happens exactly like he says it's going to happen then that is the thing you always go back to it's like so why do we trust him and why do we believe this verse or why do we believe this passage or why do we why do we do this and it's like because the resurrection and the resurrection is true then everything else he says must be you know true also because he obviously um i mean if a guy comes back from the dead if a guy predicts his death burial and resurrection and then does it he's worth He's worth following, yeah. and so if he says he's God, then he's God. You know, so um, that's how, that's why we believe he's God because he says he's God, and and it's like, well, how do you back that up? Well, you die and come back from the dead. That you, that okay, uh, I'll go with that. Yeah. yeah, that's good. You got anything else in Exodus? No, no, we're good. We can move on. Cool. Well, no, we're we, across the Red Sea. Yeah, we're we're, we're, we're moving through the Promised Land. Um, we did talk a little bit of. Um, Leviticus. We have a couple chapters in Leviticus, um, and I'm a huge fan of just that moment at the end of Exodus, chapter 40. Um, in verse 35, it says that God fills um, the tabernacle, and Moses cannot go in. It's Good so glory intense. Of God, yeah. Leviticus 1:1. 1, 1, Moses, God calls Moses in, um, and it's just a cool moment that we just a just a I don't know just a, a symbol of. God, we don't approach God without him giving us the ability to. And thankfully, we have Jesus now. We can boldly approach his presence. But without that, we don't even get to enter the same room. Right. He is so great and so powerful and so holy that Moses, who spoke to him face to face, we just read, couldn't, couldn't go in to the tent of meeting uh, without God's say-so. Mm. And, and it's cool that we have carte blanche now. We, we take that so for granted that we can enter into his uh, meeting place and just say, you know, you know, God, please help me with this. Our prayers are so casual now. Yeah. Um, but we take it such for granted that we can enter into that tent of meeting when it was such an impossibility, even for Moses. So. And, and on that, I was thinking about how uh, I was used to think, you know, when they established the Holy of Holies, you couldn't go into the Holy of Holies until you had gone through all this ritual, um, and then the high priest could go in. They have a cord tied around him in case he dies inside of there. You can't go in and get him. You have to pull him out. And it's like then they move places, so they have to tear it down. They have to take the Ark out of the Holy of Holies. And and that always perplexed me because I'm like, so I don't want to be the guy to go and <laughs> you know tear down those curtains or whatever for fear that the ends of time. But then it makes it clear that the cloud, the glory of God, that's like a cloud over the tabernacle, when that cloud moves, 
that's when they would break it down. So, so when God's presence was clearly over it, they couldn't touch it. And then when his presence would move from it, now it's just a tent. It's just, it's just material and, mm. and stuff. It's the presence of God that makes the Ark of the Covenant what it is. Wow. It's, you know, yeah. it makes the, make the, the Holy of Holies is, not, is nothing without the holiness of God within it. And so once he removes his presence from it, it's, it's no longer, it's not just, those things aren't holy. It's, mm. it's God that makes things holy. So you don't think that the Indiana Jones movie is accurate? I do not think it's accurate. <laughs> I do, I do love the Indiana. Drama. I do love the Indiana Jones movie, um, but it, but its accuracy, yeah, it's, it's, okay, okay. it's something oh, to be, it should be should be called into question. Okay. Right now. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd be in Washington looking for that box, <laughs> finding out where it is. That's cool. Yeah, and and just to again to tie all that together. Going back to that understanding Jesus thing, that's that's us. We're, yeah. It's the same way. When the presence of God is what makes us holy, is not any the things we do. It's the presence of God in us. Mm-hmm. It's what makes us mm-hmm. worthy of His presence. Yeah. Uh, we become the holy of holies because because the Spirit of the Living God, and that's why He says Paul says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, not because there's something special about our bodies, but because the Holy Spirit has chosen to dwell within us, and when His presence is upon us. That's what makes us holy. It's not the things that we do. Yeah. Right. That's cool. Cool. Um, in the Proverbs, um, this is this is one of those those cool things. Um, in chapter nine, we read um, this week, uh, and it says, uh, "Where is it? Oh, in chapter nine, verse five and six, it's, it's talking about um, wisdom offering like a fruit um, or offering food." Um, to the person, you know, to the person seeking them. And it says, Come eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. And and I, I just couldn't help but think about Genesis chapter 3 when the snake offers this other food. Um, and, um, you know, and it, it just made me think, devo- you know, just devotionally, which food am I going to choose today? Am I going to choose the, you know, wisdom of my own attaining, of my own um, efforts, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, or am I going to embrace uh, and, and live? And that's what it says in um, in verse 6, forsake your folly and live, but the snake offered fruit that would ultimately kill you. Mm. Um, so just these, these two conflicting fruits, and it's almost what Moses says. Um, Moses, Joshua, uh, one of them says, I think it's Moses, uh, says, um, here I place before you two, two, Joshua. two ways. Joshua, thank you. So we're not there yet. Spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but um, these two paths, um, which are you going to choose, blessing or curses? Hmm. Um, and and that's that's great, I think, for me today is hmm. which, which, which one do I want to take? Which food do I want to partake of, wisdom or folly? Um, yeah, and folly looks good. Folly looks good. Yeah, but it is such. It doesn't that, look like folly. Yeah, and you know that's that's the nature of deception. And people are always like, "Yeah, but no, that's not that's not true. That's not what that is." It's like you do know that's the whole point of deception, right? Is that you are deceived. <laughs> it's like so you have to have a fixed point. You have to have something outside of yourself that tells you what that really is, and that's what the word does for us. It says because it looks like this would be okay, and said and and people will even go through this whole litany of this is why this is okay for me to do this. This is why I've made these choices or whatever. It's like all that sounds great, except 
it's not what God's word tells us. Mm -hmm. And so um, we, while, it, while you're making this incredible, and that's what the world is doing today is making these incredible arguments or why they think they should live this way and be able to make these choices. And, and these, I, this is my identity and this is how I make this decision or whatever. And it's like, that's all well and good, except for the fact that mm -hmm. we are flawed and not capable of making, of understanding those things uh, apart from God's revelation. And, um, and if you don't believe God's revelation, then obviously you're not a follower of him. So yeah, you do whatever you want to do and, and you're on your own. I'm just mm -hmm. wanting, I've put my faith in him because I'm planning on living in his kingdom for all eternity. And so, mm -hmm. but, and you choose to not follow him and choose that folly, then you will get whatever judgment right. he brings. In Proverbs, in, and just right before that, in Proverbs 8, 36, it says that um, those who choose um, wisdom choose life and those who stand against uh, whatever it says all those who hate me me being wisdom all those who hate wisdom choose death or love death and it reminds me of, of in the lord of the rings everything comes back to tolkien uh, of course and um in lord of the rings it's not a perfect example because saruman is the bad guy but he's saruman the wise right and when gandalf chooses to stand against him his words to gandalf are so you have chosen death um, yeah. So it's it's just kind of a cool imperfect maybe analogy, but um, yeah. but it's, it it helps me remember you know the when you stand against the wise you choose right. death. Right. And depending on um, who your God is changes who wisdom is. Mm. And so if you're a follower of Christ, obviously Christ is the wise. But if you're a follower of the enemy, then it's the enemy who is then the enemy of Christ is is the wise. I was reading some post from an atheist and I just love to read posts from atheists <laughs> because it's like they, it starts with God's not real and says well if you consider this thought and then their next comment is well you're an idiot you know it's like it's, it's all I got and it's like oh thank you for having a meaningful conversation about this but uh, but that but it's the point is is that it's like you are establishing faith in something you are you're the statements you're making about that there is no God you're basing that on something. And the only thing you have to base that on is your own understanding, your own wisdom and so forth. And say, and, and you and you throw out all the facts and figures in one. So, well, well, how could a God do this? And how could a God do that? And it's like, I don't have to answer those questions because I'm saying there's a God who knows the answers to questions that's smarter than me and greater than I am. You're the one who says there is no God, so you are, you have to you have, you have to come up with those answers. Yeah. So what do you you know? And and so and it's like so you're if you want to say if you're taking that route of faith, if you're then you're choosing to follow, you know, your own wisdom, your own. You are in my worldview, you are worshiping the enemy of my God. Therefore, you are the enemy of my God, and He's going to judge you accordingly. Obviously, if you don't believe my God is real, then it's not going to make you lose sleep. But you're spending a lot of energy <laughs> thinking about it. I don't think about your, you know, I don't think about your belief system hardly at all, you know, except when you annoyingly interrupt my day. Um, but um, the, but that's, you know, that's the nature of wisdom is it's based on you have to have, uh, you have to choose a side, you know, and then whichever side you choose is the one that uh, you have to be faithful to. We haven't talked about the Psalms very much, but in Psalm uh, 22 was in this week's reading, and somebody had mentioned to me that there were a lot of 
connections or a lot of uh, they said wow this this matches up with a lot of things that happened on the cross and it's like actually he actually even quotes Psalm yeah. 22 while he's on the cross where he says Eli Eli lama sabachthani uh, and which is my God my God why hast thou forsaken me uh, to say it in the King James version but the uh, that that psalm is the the psalm of of the um, of the crucifixion. Uh, I mean, is, is about the, is the suffering servant and he is, uh, and it is actually fulfilled when Jesus is upon uh, the cross. It is a powerful, powerful course. David writing it is writing it from, you know, a perspective of his own, uh, perspective of suffering, but this is, uh, but Jesus is the one who actually fully manifests this. And that happens a lot in the Psalms. You have you know, a person who's writing it out in the Old Testament as well, and and it is literally something they are talking about that is happening now. But it's but it's also a foreshadowing or a type of this is something that's prophesying what Christ is going to to go through in his uh, perfection. And then the twenty third Psalm, which is just the most popular Psalm ever, and I know you know it, it reminds me of a, a preacher who I won't name, but uh, anyway, he said one time in his wisdom. Um, that some of the passages we're most familiar with, we shouldn't shy away from because there's a reason why we're the most familiar with them because they're just incredibly powerful uh, portions of scripture. And you take six verses in this uh, little little psalm, there's such a, a, a powerful word to be shared over and over and over again. It has given comfort, not just to us now, but for thousands of years uh, to people who had a need to know uh, that the Lord is my shepherd, you know, the the shepherd's psalm. Uh, but it is uh, just that idea that he is our shepherd and I shall not want, that he is taking care of me and providing for me, that that idea that our refuge is in him um, transcends um, even where it was written in the Old Testament, our understanding that it is in Christ, that he is the one who takes care of us, not only right now, but even, at, even when we uh, face death. Uh, he will be there for us. So those are, uh, you know, it, so we read Psalms 21 through 23. So if you have not read those, um, definitely go back and those are good give those a, yeah, yeah, give that a read. All right. So um, I, I've never liked the Psalms very much just because... Um, You're you, pagan? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you, Adam? <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, just because, like, we usually it's it's quoted with the the short little bits, and mm-hmm. you just yeah. see such a short portion of it that, like, I don't know, I just never got all that I, much I, from I, it. Yeah. And um, and so reading the Psalms though as a whole um, mm. has been really really good for me, and and I've I keep on finding myself like, man, this is different. I really like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and anyways, this I'm I'm super happy to have gotten the week with with chapter twenty two there because. Um, it was just an amazement for me for like, I don't know how many chapters, but several chapters before, it was just like, you can tell David is just like on this high, you know, yeah. he's on this mountain. And, and I, I specifically remember whenever I was reading this, I kind of like stopped in my head and was just thinking about like, man, he is just high, like up there, he's he's on fire for God. Like next sentence, wow, we dropped down <laughs> But it's, uh, it's, it's just so cool though. To know that, like, those highs and lows were experienced by David also. Mm-hmm. And that was that was just what hit home with me, too, was just that, like, David is, is such a good example for us. I mean, obviously he had his faults, but um, 
but the Psalms are so cool just because he speaks so plainly and, and he's just so real about it, basically. That's, yeah. that's what I've really enjoyed in, in reading the Psalms is just how real that he is. And, and he speaks um, with the truth and, like, he doesn't try to hide anything, basically. Right. And, and the other part that I've kind of come to notice and realize was, um, so like you just talked about with, with Bethlehem and, and, you know, your, your form of worship is through music primarily, or that's probably your favorite way anyways. Um, but how important it is to, like, find that way that you can truly express yourself. Because I would say that for David, it seems to be, like, writing out songs would yeah. be his... And through music, yeah. yeah yes, and, and um, would be his form. And so... Like, for me, I mean, I pray a, a good bit, uh, you know, a lot, but I don't I don't really know that I'm having the conversations that, like, David is having, and I think that, for me, is something I just need to get better about is just, like, writing out some of those prayers, because I, I have done that before, and I go way more in-depth and real about it. And so finding that, that form where you can just be truly open and expressing yourself and, and speak plainly, I think is, is important, because... You don't just always do that if you're just talking to God, you know, with your sure. regular prayer. But. Yeah, and I think it, you think about Moses and um, and what we're reading through in Exodus and Leviticus and so forth, how God is is laying out worship in this uh, bringing of sacrifices and this obedience to the law and and uh, and then through the craftsmanship of designing these things and all these different uh, tools and utensils and all and, and and making sure all of it's done in a way that expresses this and then then you fast forward to David who um, who they are still using the tabernacle he wants to build a temple his son's going to do this though and and again go with the craftsmanship and so forth but David but God chooses a king who expresses worship through song and so you and so you do have him writing an enormous number of the psalms and so forth a gift to the body of Christ to the to the people of God to the body of Christ today but but thinking in terms of God brings these huge figures into our history uh to introduce to us we, we get the benefit of having both the artisans and showing the craftsmanship and the, and the way that people brought glory to God in that way. And then also uh, through these songs uh, that David gives us. And, and, and now knowing that, you know, when we sing and these, you know, you remember things better when you sing from so forth. But it's like he's introducing these things. These are for hundreds of years, mm. you know, yet he's introducing these things that give us a better understanding of this is, this is what we are going to. You know, we are going to a place that's going to be beautifully crafted. Mm. We're going to a place where songs, you know, where we express ourselves through song and so forth in a way that's filled with worship. And um, and it gets, it, with everything he introduces, the, the better it gets, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Jesus comes to kind of put the crowning achievement on that where he says, "I and now I'm erasing sin, I'm erasing pain, I'm erasing uh, infirmity, you know, all these things that hinder us from being able to be all that God created us to be. Um, I'm, I take care of all that and death itself. That's good. We're at 45 minutes. Okay. Um, do we have anything else we want to address, talk about? Do you have any questions you want answered? We, um, we haven't hardly hit Matthew at all yet. We don't always hit everything. We can, we can go into it if you want to go into it. Um, I'll make it quick. Yeah, there's, I mean. Um, Just say what you want to say. Okay. Say what you want. We'll cut out the bezel (laughs) 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 also. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I've just got uh, one kind of. I got one quick question and then one overarching point. But the the question I'm just gonna go. Ahead and, uh, what was Jesus like arrested for in the first place? Because maybe that's just an American way of thinking. Like I don't know if this is a good question, basically, because uh, there are no bad questions. There are no Okay, let's okay there are there, only, only there bad are guests. <laughs> <laughs> there are bad questions, only bad guests. We're gonna make that on put it on our t shirt. Um, why was Jesus arrested in the first place? Why did they go out to uh, find him? Yeah, because well, like like um Judas he goes out there and he, he kisses him to give him away, but like I mean, that's not a crime. <laughs> right. They they had found – they were looking for something to indict him on. They were looking for um, a reasons to um, to arrest him, to convict right. him and so forth. They found two people who would say that Jesus had said that he would tear down the temple and, and build it back. And, and even their testimony wasn't uh, – Solid. Right. Uh, you have to have at least two witnesses in order to to bring those charges. But but the point was is that the, it was a it was a planned conspiracy. It was it was a, a witch hunt, so so to speak. It was a, a what's a, what's it called? Um, um, shoot. There's a there's a word for it when it's a, uh, a court kangaroo court, uh, where it's just oh. where it's all everything's just fabricated and yeah. put together for the purpose of taking somebody down, and. Um, and so, so yeah, you're you're going to be missing an element of oh, there's something really clear and distinctive here. Yeah, but okay. if you think of in terms of people who you see somebody who is continuing to spread these rumors and 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 portray themselves as God, that's what they were trying to uh, convict him of when they brought him in uh, for questioning. Uh, and it is just for questioning. Um, Jesus. Uh, Judas goes out and 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 basically they have worked this together with Judas to say that uh, will you give him over to us and I can tell you where he is I can tell you what's going on um, this is also during Holy Week I mean this is this is leading up to the Passover so this is a time when there's a lot of people coming in and a lot of discussions about the validity of his claims and so forth and what he's doing and they just get worked into this fervor of something has to be done about it because he's a dangerous person to them politically. Mm -hmm. And now it, now he's gone into the temple and, and tried to and, and run out the money changers and so forth. And so and you've had this, this him coming triumphantly into the city and so forth. They are terrified that he is going to mess up their position with the Romans, that he's going to take away their political power, that it's going to become oppressive and so forth, and that all that they had worked to achieve – to establish this place in society where they are monetarily taken care of and and have comfortable homes and so forth, that he's going to mess all this up, and so uh, so it becomes we need to move on this. And uh, and if and if he isn't who he claims to be, they're right. I mean, it is blasphemous what he's saying. So they bring him in, thinking they're going to try to trip him up, and then the reality is he just says, then he just tells them, yeah, yes, I am, you know. Do you think you're the Christ? And, and he finally says, "Yes, I am." 
Let's be Christ. clear. And then, <laughs> and then it gets super powerful. And then it's like he's looking him in the eyes and saying, and I am going to be coming in my glory <laughs> at the right hand of the Father, and it's all going to come down. You know, it's like, and then they freak out, you know, ripping their clothes, and, you know, as they would do and be freaked out. And uh, and so tearing their garments and so forth, and blasphemy, blasphemy, and, and you've heard it come from his own lips. We don't need witnesses anymore. We don't need any testimony. He's now said it, that he is... Uh, that yeah. he believes he's the son of God, that he believes he is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so they're going to, uh, he's worthy of death at that point. And okay. he made sure of it too, because he yeah. said to the Jews exactly what they needed to hear to want to kill him. He said to the Romans exactly what they yeah. needed to hear to want to kill him. Yeah. I'm going to be a king. And that's right. That's and right. God. That's right. That's right. Everybody, if, I'm, if, we're, if we're ready for, this is the moment. And it was. Before, it was like, it's not time. It's not time. It's not time. It's not time. And now it's time, so here it is. Now have your have your moment and do what you were put here to do. So like that's yeah, and I, that was the only the part that I didn't understand was just like what was the original reasoning for bringing him in. But but the so the the last thing that that I found so fascinating as I read through this was um, something that you've often talked about in sermons um, and in personal and everything um, is just how. If, if it's something that God wants done, then like, you know, direction for your life and in that path, then God will make it happen in ways that like only God can make it happen, basically. And, and as I read through the crucifixion story there, that's what like was ringing in my head was just like, this stuff is crazy. Like a lot of it just doesn't make any sense that people would act in the way that they act other than like. It's just been set up by God, basically. Mm. And so that was, you know, I mean, that's whenever we, as as you've talked about, I mean, just like um, looking for that direction in our life, you know, God will do things and and make things happen in such a way that, like, you know that it's only God who can do it, and thus you just follow along that path. And, like, Jesus, you know, he kind of knew it was coming, but he didn't want it to happen. But after all that stuff happens, how can you deny it? And, um and that was just kind of the, the powerful part to me as I read through the crucifixion story was just that like God had set that up and and it it happened perfectly. I mean, like you just said that okay, he said the things that he needed to say to to make all, make the the Romans and the Pharisees mad. Um, but both of those things were accurate that he had to say, and so it was really God who had set that up that they would be so mad about it. Um, because, you know, I mean, they were accurate. Like, he had to say it. <laughs> so, right. yeah. um, well, even, like, those people who had just a week before had been singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, I'm right. so glad you're here, Jesus. And then a week later, they're shouting, crucify him, you know, yeah. give us Barabbas. Yeah. And, and like, how, did, yeah. how does that happen? Every single one of those people's hearts had to be changed in that week. Right. Yes, and somebody brought up something really, um, that really uh, great question this week was about Barabbas. And Barabbas... Um, well, a couple of things. One, Matthew is a Jew and a very, very prominent Jew, Levitical Jew, in that um, he is, in fact, he's Levi Matthew would be his actual title. But um, he was a tax collector. But the Gospel of Matthew, if you look at it, it is written from the perspective of someone trying to show the Jewish people that this is the Messiah that they have been looking for. Lots of references to Old Testament, lots of references to prophecies being fulfilled. He has tried the Gospel. You can see clearly that his Gospel purpose was to show the Jewish people that this Jesus, who they are talking about, 
is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that this is the Messiah that they were looking for. And so in the account of the crucifixion and so forth, it's all unfolded in a way that would, to a Jewish person, that would make sense that, oh, this is why they did this, which is why it even spells out uh, that they lied and said, you know, we want to make sure that the tomb is sealed and so forth because his disciples are going to come up with a lie and steal the body and say he's the risen so forth because Jewish people would be familiar with that understanding of of the um, Messiah. The um, Barabbas, his name is actually Bar Abbas, which means Bar is son of, and Abbas is means the father. You know, when we see Abba father, uh, so his name is literally son of the father. But in the New International Version, it says his name is Jesus Barabbas. And somebody asked me, they said, why is that version say that, and none of the other versions say that? And it's actually interesting because all the other versions that leave that out. In early manuscripts, it's really hard to find a manuscript that says Jesus Barabbas, but but it then says there was Barabbas and then Jesus the Christ. And so the thinking amongst those translators was it was more likely that people didn't want to when they were when scribes were writing this down in order to keep it from being confusing to people, left off the first name, Jesus, which was a common name. A lot of people think Jesus is the only Jesus, but a lot of people, it's actually, the name is Yeshua, which is our word for Yehoshua, which was Joshua. So the better, inter- Jesus' actually name in English would be Joshua, but anyway, that's another thing. But, um, so, which Joshua is a very common name, so, and it was then. So, uh, so you probably had Joshua Barabbas, and, and then he was saying Joshua the Christ. So the thinking is, is that, um, because it says Jesus the Christ, it probably did say Jesus Barabbas originally, because why else would they specify this Jesus is the Christ? You know, trying to say, instead of saying, yeah, Barabbas and Jesus, it was you have Jesus Barabbas and Jesus the Christ. Um, so um, it's not in a lot of early manuscripts, though. It could have been omitted. So, but the most translators take the safe route and say, if it's not in a lot of manuscripts, we're going to go with that it wasn't there. And so they'll translate it accordingly. But um, that's the neat part about having multiple uh, translations of scripture because um, we have the ability. It's not that one is wrong or one is right. It still, come, still comes out the same, but, um, but it, does, it does make us think about things we wouldn't normally think about uh, if we didn't have that little bit of information. Does that lend a little bit of credence? This is a little off topic, but um, and not a prepared question at all. But does that lead, lend a little bit of credence to like the legitimacy of several translations? You know, because we're always on the search for like the best one. Like I prefer this one because it's the most accurate, or this one because it's the best word-for-word translation. But when you have like things like the Septuagint, you know, which mm-hmm. Jesus quotes alongside the original. You know Hebrew, um, which to say kind of two different things, but he holds them both as like genuine scripture. Yeah. Can we do the same thing with like the NIV versus NASB versus ESV? Well, the Septuagint is a great example because it was created because Greek was the most common language at the time, and so they put the Word of God into a language that people understood, and which really, I mean, complements the timing of Jesus coming into the world because now you have 
the common people understanding more of the Old Testament than ever had in previous times because they may not have uh, in the after the diaspora, which is where the Jews were scattered all over the place. A lot of them didn't know Hebrew, didn't know how to speak that, which is why Pentecost was such a big deal because you have all these Jews coming back, but a lot of them don't understand Hebrew. So when they started speaking in everybody's tongue, uh, that freaked everybody out and, and showed it was a, a power of God thing. But yeah, the, we don't, uh, even if you had everything in Greek and everything in Aramaic, a good example is the King James Version of the Bible, which a lot of people think is sacred, uh, and we won't get into that right here. But, uh, but in 1611, we did not speak the same English that we'd speak today. And people do this without thinking about it. When they're reading the King James Bible, they'll read a verse and they'll go, that means, and then they'll explain what it means in our current language. And what they don't realize is they're playing junior translator right there. <laughs> they're reading it. They understand that the words that are in that verse aren't clearly communicated in the language we speak today. And so they're saying, this is what this would mean today in the language that you and I speak. Um, the same thing happens when you're reading Greek. When you're reading Greek, you, you read it and it's like, this is how we would say this in English. Well, it doesn't perfectly translate English because Greek people, Greek speaking, classical Greek speaking people think differently than we think and their language is constructed differently. And so you're trying to describe, using multiple words to describe something. While when, you, when you're translating it, you can't think of how big the Bible would be as if we took every possible, you know, way that verse could go. And so when they're, they're saying, this is our best, you know, guess our most educated guess we can come up with is what this is what this would mean in english and so yeah that's why i love using a lot of different translations because educated people sat down and and using all the resources they have available to them came up with this is what we believe was being communicated in the original hebrew or the original greek according to all the manuscript evidence that we have and and so when you read seven different versions, you're getting seven different really good perspectives on the same thing. Um, ultimately, the Holy Spirit will, I think, guide and direct you to what it is. I mean, if you want to really know what it means, then you know, study Hebrew and Greek. <laughs> you know, and uh, and even then, you 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 know, you're, it's going to be limited. But it, I think, bickering over it gets us away from the greater truth, and that is, there's a message in there. And the message has been maintained for 2,000 years and not compromised. And the inerrancy and the infallibility is in what was originally written that we don't have access to. So we're trying to get as close to that as we possibly can. But the message is still the potent part. It's still the gospel. You know, it's still who Jesus is and what he did for us and so forth. And, and while I think it's very important to get as accurate a translation as we can, uh, none of them are perfect. And, and so, yeah, I think using a bunch of them helps sometimes to get a clearer perspective. Well, Adam, it was great having you this week. Um, if you're free, we'd love to have you back next week. <laughs> Will do. All right. I'm, right. I'm excited. I think I can. Adam's right. coming back. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you would like more information, you can find us online on our website at firstbaptistjackson.com. You can email us at daniel at firstbaptistjackson.tv. Or you can find us on social media, First Baptist Jackson on Facebook 
and FBCJMO on Instagram. We've got a lot of content in all of those places, and we would love to hear your questions on the content that we cover. If you would like to be a part of the podcast, you can email us and message us at any of those ways, or you can call the church office at 573-243-8415, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.